0: Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest. Sometimes it's a artist or architect, a broadcaster, blogger, writer, author. Sometimes it's a person who started their own apostolate and is busy doing the Lord's work all of them in different ways fulfilling their call to be part of the body of Christ, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the needy world, and to reach out to those who are in need. Today my guest is a blogger, a broadcaster, a charity worker, and also a deacon of the Diocese of Brooklyn, uh, Deacon Greg Kandra. Welcome to More Christianity, Deacon.
1: Thank you for having me, Father.
0: Well, you're working for an organization called Kanewa which is the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. We're going to talk about that shortly, but you've ended up in that position, which is, I think, a, your media director for them, and you do their communications work. But before that, you, you have a, quite a career in broadcasting there in New York City. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I worked for 26 years as a writer and producer for CBS News here in New York and in Washington in both television and radio. I worked for a variety of programs, including 60 Minutes 2, 60 Minutes Sunday Morning. I was the founding editor of Couric and Company, which was Katie Couric's blog for cbsnews.com. And I was a writer for the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric.
0: Now, Deacon, I have to pick you up on this a little bit. You know, in some circles in America, the mainstream media, meaning CBS and NBC and ABC and all the others, are the big bogeymen. They're the big bad guys who are always putting a left-wing slant on everything and who are anti-Christian and don't get religion and all the rest of it. Were you one of them?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I (laughs) was— part of the enemy, infiltrating the enemy. Oh I see. So uh, so we're
0: really talking about a conversion story here,
1: are we, Deacon? <laughs> <laughs> my experience with, with CBS was actually pretty positive. Uh, and a lot of people I think are are surprised to hear this that, you know, everyone isn't walking around with pitchforks and with hooves and horns <laughs> and looking for some terrible way to to undermine people of faith. In fact, my experience, at least when I was there, I left I guess, six years ago, my experience was that a lot of the people who work in the media, at least at CBS where I was, are, uh, are people of faith, believe it or not. A lot of them go to church, a lot of them are Christian, and a lot of them are Catholic. When I was working at the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric, uh, virtually the entire writing staff was Catholics and church-going Catholics and a number of people on the senior staff uh, were also Catholics. But I think the biggest problem really is a widespread misunderstanding about religion and about faith. And it's a lot of the bad things that end up being broadcast and being published are more of ignorance than malice. People just don't know any better and are ill-informed, and it's hard sometimes to, to correct that. One of the things that should be required in every journalism school in America is an in-depth study of world religions, especially now, where religion is shaping so much of what is happening in the world. We really need to know more and to be better informed about it.
0: Exactly. And if there's a fair bit of, uh, as you say, ignorance, not malice, amongst mainstream media reporters and writers, you know, there's a fair bit of ignorance, not malice from those who are who don't really understand the the rules and the idea and the method of, of journalism. If you're a Catholic, church going Catholic who's writing as a journalist, working as a journalist and working in, in media, it's your job to report the news. It's not your job to be an evangelist. Uh, it's your job to be as objective as you can about the news and to put the news out there that people need to read and want to read. But am I correct? I mean, you're not there to be an evangelist. You can certainly bear witness in the in the workplace, but you're not there for necessarily supposed to be building up a particular church or particular religion.
1: No, that's, that's absolutely right. In fact, I've often quoted a famous line of Mother Teresa Whenever people would come and knock on her door and say that they wanted to volunteer among the poor in Calcutta, she would always say, you don't need to be here. Find your own Calcutta. And I've often told people, sometimes I thought that CBS was my Calcutta. (laughs) Right. You know, I was sort of supposed to be trying to to, to bear witness to people and uh, just, you know, the way that, that we live our lives.
0: And living your life uh, within the workplace as a faithful Catholic and bearing witness and allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of radiate from you or to ooze out sometimes is really the place that you're su- you're supposed to be and the-, the risks you're supposed to take. So you moved on from CBS. You were working then with the, the diocese for a time in,
1: in media work. W-
0: when were you ordained as a deacon?
1: I was ordained in May of uh, 2007. I just had my seven-year anniversary. So deacon—
0: uh, Greg Kandra, I, I want to just explore this a little bit with you, because some of our listeners may very well be thinking about a religious vocation, maybe asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? I've responded to your call. I've heard the Lord say, follow me. I, I don't know what the next step is. I I don't know where to go. Tell us a little bit about your call to the diaconate, how you responded to that, and, and how you're finding that this is working out for you. How, how did it come clear for you? Put it that way.
1: Well, it really came to me, I had been discerning, uh, really pursuing a a deeper religious life. My vocational journey really began at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers, Georgia, uh, which is right outside of Atlanta. I had been discerning becoming a lay Cistercian or a third-order Trappist for a little while, and while I was on retreat, uh, one of the people I heard preaching was a Catholic deacon. And I had a vague idea of what deacons were and who they were, but I never really had experienced one uh, in my home parish in New York. And it just spoke to me in a really profound way. This is something that you could do. This is something you should do. And I had a conversation with him uh, a couple of hours over over lunch, and I went home and thought, I'm going to become a deacon. Hmm. And I talked it over with my wife, and, you know, we weighed the pros and cons and thought maybe I should wait a while before I do this. Maybe I could do it when I retire. But the, the all indications were so strong and so powerful that I said, I really need to look at this now. So I put in my application and I began formation uh, the following fall. And uh, as I like to tell people, it was the second best decision I ever made, the first being to marry my wife. <laughs> but to do this and to give my life to the Church this way, and to have the opportunity to to preach the faith and to to try and evangelize doing what I'm doing the way that I'm doing it, has just been a great, great gift and a great grace.
0: So you went through this discernment process while you were still working with CBS? That's correct. So you're working as a writer and journalist in New York City with uh, CBS. I would have said that's a pretty high accomplishment in the world of uh, journalism and broadcasting. You hear the call to become a Catholic deacon, you respond to the call, and what happened? When you became a deacon, they fired you, or did because you're not working for CBS anymore.
1: <laughs> no, actually, uh, people were sort of curious about what I was doing and why I was doing it, and I have to say I, I encountered no opposition at all. I sort of became the go-to Catholic guy on staff for a while. Katie Couric used to call me Father Greg, <laughs> and uh, they were all sort of a little fascinated to have this, this person doing this stuff, working with them. But I really wanted to blend my vocation as a journalist with my vocation as a deacon and find a way to to marry the two of them. And so I started looking around and the opportunity arose to go and work uh, for the diocese in Brooklyn, which was a great opportunity and a a really exciting thing to be able to be a part of. And I did that for a couple of years. And then they came knocking on my door and said, uh, the people at we were looking for a new editor for our magazine. Are you interested? I had been recommended by a couple of people and I said, okay, let's talk. And here I am.
0: Okay, for our listeners who are just coming in, I'm Father Dwight Longeneck. You're listening to More Christianity. My guest today is Deacon Greg Kandra. He's the multimedia editor at Kinewa, that is Catholic Near East Welfare Association, a charity which seeks to help the Christians in the Middle East. So you have gone over by this time to work out your gifts as a journalist and your experience as a journalist, uh, but also being a Catholic deacon. You're working for Kinewa, uh, and therefore you're on a pretty steep learning curve about the situation of the Church in the Middle East. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you become an expert?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that, but uh, I, I know a little bit.
0: <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned a minute ago was about the need for journalists to understand religion in when reporting on most anything in the world today— Who would have thought in the rise of secularism a hundred years ago when most people were writing religion off and saying, you know, the modern age has arrived and uh, human beings will not be religious for very much longer, all that medieval superstition stuff is going to die out and we shall enter the brave new world, you know, without any religion. And who would have thought that a hundred years later today in 2014 – religion was actually going to be driving just about every news story in the world. Do you think I'm exaggerating, or, or is that about right?
1: Oh, no, I think uh, I think that's spot on. And, you know, using the Middle East as an example, you know, so much of what is, is tearing apart that part of the world is grounded in, in ancient tribal and religious factions and feuds and, and wars and civil wars and so much... Of what's happening right now in Iraq, which is just tragic, is you know Muslim against Muslim, and it's it's really heartbreaking. And then at the other end of the extreme, you know another figure that has emerged on the scene who has suddenly captured the imagination of the world is our own Pope, Pope Francis. And you know the the media it seems can't get enough of him and writing about him and covering him, and he is speaking to the world in a in in an astonishingly powerful way. And more people, I think, need to hear what he has to say and need to have a better understanding of the way the Church works and where he's coming from. But, you know, he, again, is a a major player on the world stage now. Religion is (laughs) a lot more important than I think a lot of people realize.
0: I think so. And when you saw the crowds, for instance, last summer at World Youth Day in Rio, I mean, it's phenomenal. There there was no other... Human event, which which summons such uh, huge crowds of devotees, huge crowds of enthusiasm and joyful enthusiasm. It's it's a positive. They're not all there being, being angry and carrying banners and and Molotov cocktails ready to, to stage a revolution. They're, they're they're full of joy and full of happiness. And and this is saying something about Christianity, saying something too specifically about the Catholic Church. For listeners just coming on board, I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity today. My guest is. Blogger, Catholic deacon, media specialist, deacon Greg Kandra, deacon, you you spoke about Pope Francis and the phenomenal effect that he's having across the world. I have a theory that one of the reasons for this is that in every age there's somebody who comes in to contradict the age, which intrigues and attracts and sort of enchants everyone simply because they're so countercultural. Here we are in an age where secularism is running riot, and, and the new atheism is flexing its muscles, and more and more people are saying things like, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, which is kind of a way of saying, you know, every once in a while I feel happy when I see a sunset. <laughs> Here it goes. Uh, and and here's Pope Francis, who quite unapologetically is standing up for the Catholic faith and, and proclaiming the Catholic faith, and he's capturing the world's imagination. What do you think about this theory that whenever there's a, a, a vacuum, something will fill it?
1: Oh, I think that's very true, and I think it also speaks to the hunger that people have for the message that he is giving the world, which is one of mercy and compassion and joy. Uh, And it's something that has just triggered uh, a visceral response in people. Uh, I've I've said this before to to various folks uh, that I talk with. I never cease to be amazed whenever I run into people who are non-believers or non-Catholics, and they find out who I am and what I do almost uniformly, the first thing they say to me is, I have to tell you, I love the Pope. Sure. Uh, it's, he, he's just uh, captured something and really touched people in, in a profound way. I think people see him and they say, they realize this is what Christianity is supposed to be, and this is what it's supposed to be about. He's really bringing us back to to where it all began. It was said one time of John Paul, shortly after he was elected, a journalist said they haven't elected a man from Rome, they've elected someone from Galilee. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way very often about Pope Francis.
0: It it is. It's astounding to see the joy that he has and the uh, witness that he has especially in a world which with along with the new atheism and the secularism is also very despairing and very cynical and very sour and here he comes and he's got this great joyful expression and and it isn't simply that he is a celebrity or that he's famous in fact he he's being himself he's he's, he's comfortable in his own skin and he's he's showing what it really means to be uh, a human being fully alive you you know there's that quote isn't there that famous quote from uh the 3rd century theologian saint irenaeus who says the glory of god is a human being fully alive and we see that in pope francis and and he's therefore showing the world the glory of god in such a darkened world with such horrible stuff happening right now what 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 a light in the darkness we're recording this in the summer of 2014 and pope francis has recently uh, made a historic trip to to the um, Holy Land, meeting with Muslims and Jews, uh, and then welcoming the president of Israel and the president of the Palestinian territories to come back to the Vatican for a prayer meeting. What about that prayer meeting, Deacon Kandra? you working for Kanewa, the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Has there been any uh, blowback on that? Have, have there been some people who've been upset by that, that the the Catholic Pope would be praying with Muslims and Jews?
1: Not that I've encountered. I mean, periodically you'll you'll hear grumbling or you'll read you know reactions from people, particularly online, where you and I spend far too much of our time. Uh, you'll hear people you know saying he shouldn't have done this. This is wrong. You know he was setting a, a very bad precedent. And but when you look at what happened, it was really something very beautiful. And he's one of the few people who could pull off something like that. Who could bring all these different people together. And to have them talk not as politicians, but as, as men of faith, and trying to find some common ground to, to get past all the problems. And, you know, hopefully, please God, this will be a step in the right direction and lead us, you know, in the direction that we, we all need to go toward, you know, a peaceful resolution of all the problems in that part of the world.
0: I'm thinking what I think John Allen pointed out about the prayer meeting in the Vatican with Pope Francis and the Palestinian and the Israeli presidents. He said something along the lines of, you know, here was a situation which was like a minefield, which had the possibility of offending just about everybody. If it was handled wrongly, you would be offending the Palestinian people and leadership, you could be offending the Israeli leadership and people, you could be offending all of their allies in the Middle East and all of their allies around the world. And that was just the political dimension. And then he said you could be offending uh, the Muslims and you could be offending the Jews and you could be offending the fellow Catholics and offending other Christians because ecumenically and in, in an interfaith religious theological way, you'd, you'd put a foot wrong and offended people. And that the Pope actually, with his helpers, mm <laughs> put it all together in, in record time and carried it off flawlessly, and everyone came out singing their praises. I thought, well, that in itself is a, a, a sign of the Holy Spirit <laughs> guiding the whole process, because they did actually manage to avoid all of the pitfalls. The, the, the service was held in the Vatican Gardens, not in a Catholic church, so people wouldn't be offended by uh, either Muslims, Catholics, or Jews be offended by by, by that. The prayer services, uh, I understand, were, were kind of part off from each other so that the Vatican explained that this was a situation of Catholics Muslims and Jews coming together to pray but not praying together they all chose their words very diplomatically now Deacon the Pope went to the Middle East and and stepped into this unsolvable problem of, of Middle Eastern relations can you help our listeners a little bit to untangle some of the the details over there I'm going to ask you first about first of all about the Muslim faith why are the Muslims themselves? fighting amongst themselves so much. I mean, it's vicious, not only do the extremist Muslims uh, seem set on on persecuting and attacking Jews and Christians, but they're they're at the throat of some of their fellow Muslims. Can can you illuminate that for us a little bit?
1: Well, it's not all that different from uh, the terrible situation that we saw in Northern Ireland, Uh, and, you know, Christians going at each other tooth and nail, and very violently and one of the things you know that is worth mentioning that often gets lost when we're talking about the the violence that seems to be enacted by muslims in the middle east is first of all most of the people who are doing this are are extremists and second of all they aren't just targeting as we often seem to think christians there's this misunderstanding i think or a misreporting that your Muslims are going after Christians. In fact, as often as Christian churches get attacked by terrorists for one reason or another, they're also attacking mosques, and Sunnis are attacking Shiites, and Shiites are attacking Sunnis. It is a mess, and I'm not smart enough to be able to untangle the motives behind it all, but it's it's a very complicated you know, entanglement all the way around, and you know, hopefully what Pope Francis has tried to do last weekend will get people to to look at what they're doing a little bit differently and to finally, you know, maybe talk to one another to try and iron out the problems.
0: Okay, so to help our listeners understand the complexities a bit, there are the Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims. And these two uh, groups are historically at odds. You compared it to the situation in Northern Ireland, a little bit like maybe historically Protestants and Catholics going at each other. So in the Middle East, a lot of the headlines are about the Muslims attacking the Christians. We have to make it clear that it's Uh, jihadists. I'm increasingly, in my own writing, using the term jihadist rather than Muslim, because the jihadist represents that kind of extreme Muslim who is bristling with armaments and ready to to, to go on the attack. And they're attacking fellow Muslims that they don't agree with, just as much as they're attacking Christians.
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: So, with the complexities in the Middle East, one of the great areas of suffering, nevertheless, are the Christians in the Middle East. And at Kanewa, you're working to to minister to them and and to help them. Obviously, there are the Latin Christians who are there, but we also have the Eastern Rite Churches and the Eastern Orthodox. Deacon, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about that? Are these different Eastern Rite Churches that are in union with the Catholic Church, are they geographically defined or are they defined by language groups or, or national groups? How does that work?
1: Some of it is language, some of it is geography, some of it is just history and tradition and culture, but they are in union with the Catholic Church. They they consider themselves Catholic, they follow the teachings of the Pope and the Magisterium, they have different rites uh, and different liturgies, they don't all do Mass as we do in, uh, in the Latin Rite Church. But they are all part of of the Catholic family. And then there's the the Orthodox, which is a whole other branch of Christianity, but is considered to be very close to us nonetheless. And we honor uh, their sacraments. and we have a lot of respect for a lot of their traditions, and we're trying to iron out you know differences that have you know pulled us apart over the last thousand years or so. And I think Francis has done tremendous work in that regard. One of the people who was at the Vatican for this meeting last weekend was the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, who you know, leads hundreds of thousands, if or even millions, I think, of, um, of Orthodox Christians based in that part of the world, and he's considered to be a successor of the Apostles, the Apostle Andrew, who was the brother of Peter. So they're almost apostolic siblings, the pope and the ecumenical patriarch.
0: So, Deacon Greg, the other problem in the Middle East at the moment is that in certain countries where the Muslim uprisings are so tumultuous, I'm thinking of Iraq and especially Syria and Egypt, the Christians really are being persecuted though, aren't they? And there's a, a huge exodus of Christians from the Palestinian territories, from Lebanon, from across the Middle East. Is this where Kanewa begins to do its work, trying to assist them? Are you helping them to find new homes as refugees? Are you are you giving aid to them in their own countries to rebuild and reestablish? Tell me a little bit, a little bit about the work of Kanewa.
1: Yeah, a lot of what we do is, right now, in, in helping refugees, and particularly refugees from Syria. That terrible conflict has been going on now for three years has had a profound impact on Lebanon and Jordan and, you know, other areas around there. And those countries are being inundated with, with refugees who often arrive with nothing but the clothes on their back. And we try and resettle them. We try and care for them. We try and give whatever housing we can. We work with and through the local churches on the ground, the local churches will tell us what the needs are, and then we try and meet them. And we don't exclusively just help Christians. Uh, that's one of the interesting things about all this, because the orders that we work through, uh, there are a number of religious orders on the ground there, do not discriminate. They care for everyone and anyone. As as one of the nuns put it, she said. We don't care for them because they're Catholic, but because we are, mm-hmm. which I thought was so beautiful. And so you have situations, for example, there's a, an amazing story that from Iraq when the Iraq War was going on, and there was a convent of sisters that opened their doors to Muslim families and took care of them and actually provided a place for them to pray during the five times a day when they pray. And they lived together really as one big family. Uh, respecting them and caring for them, and bearing witness and uh, really trying to offer them as best they could the, the love of Christ under those circumstances. We help orphans, we, we try and provide education, shelter, food, all of that, wherever it's needed, the best way that we can.
0: Good. I'm talking to um, Deacon Greg Kandra. He works as the Multimedia Director for Kinewa, which stands for Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Is Canewa's work growing, Deacon, or are you struggling for funds? How can people help?
1: Well, to visit our website, canewa.org, C-N-E-W-A.org. There are many, many opportunities and many ways to to help by supporting seminarians, uh, among other things, supporting religious orders. We help uh, provide training to them on the ground, and also to to give to the different projects that we're involved in, uh, with the orphanages, with shelters with refugees, especially uh, Syria is in, in such dire need right now.
0: We're nearing the end of our time and our conversation. Uh, Deacon Greg Kandra is with me today. He's one of America's top Catholic bloggers, uh, blogging uh, with me as a colleague over at the Pathos site. The Deacon's Bench uh, has a huge readership, and he keeps mm-hmm. people informed about religious news around the world with, a, I might say, a, a real... Deft and light touch, bringing in various news items, making his comments and his observations, always with a great sense of optimism and hope. If you want to visit his blog, it's called The Deacon's Bench at patheos.com. You've been listening to more Christianity. Deacon Greg Kandra, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you.